Hey, y'all, if you're enjoying this podcast, take two seconds, send it to five friends. Um, some of the top episodes would be the self-confidence, masculinity, and the Byron Rogers podcast if you want to send uh, some of the top ones to them. Otherwise, just take 30 seconds and review it on whatever podcast uh, application you use, whether it be Spotify, YouTube, Google, iTunes, Amazon, any of them. Thank you. Today's podcast is brought to you by AssaultLimited.com. Even when you aren't saying anything, you're saying something. Let your gear say the right thing for you. That's where Assault Limited comes in. Assault Limited offers tactical versions of things you use every day. The Assault Pen is a great quality, intimidating looking pen with a pinpoint tip used for self-defense or to break glass. The Assault Spork has so many different tactical uses, we only have time to highlight a few. It's a spoon, a fork, a wrench, a carabiner, and a bottle opener. The possibilities are endless. The Assault Pencils and the Assault Straws... Well, they both look pretty badass, and they both tell political correctness to take a long jump off a short bridge. When you need things and you want them to be the best quality while issuing a statement to anyone else who sees, look at AssaultLimited.com. Also sponsoring today's podcast is Urban Savage, U-R-B-N-S-V-G.com. The best quality apparel available. American-made t-shirts and sweatshirts that fit great with the quality that will outlast the creepy battery bunny. The Date Night Tee, which is the badass's version of the subtle embroidered logo t-shirt that so many of us grew up with. And the hats are 100% American made, not just embroidered here like so many others. Ooh, and those sweatshirts are so damn comfy. The next time you're thinking about scoring a new piece of gear, remember to check out urbnsvg.com. Last but not least, today's podcast is brought to you by A3 Body Protectant. A3 was designed when Martin noticed that Hawaiian surfers who spend their entire lives in the sun had radiant, healthy skin. After plenty of awkward questions about how seriously they take their skin care, he learned the secrets. Hawaii's best kit secret is now available at A3Equip.com. That's A3 eqip.com a3 is a truly natural cream that can be used as a skin lotion a lip balm a hair conditioner honestly anywhere you want to keep moist and healthy get yours today at a3 eqip.com all doctors to the er do these guys have any idea what they are talking about talking about talking about Get squared away. Spiritual. Get squared away. Emotional. Get squared away. Mental. Get squared away. Physical. The podcast that'll help you get squared away. What is up, everybody? We are back with another episode of Squared Away. We are here with Aaron Shelley, the author of The Family Flywheel. Um, listen to a few of your podcasts this week, Aaron, and uh, pretty excited to get into this idea. Why don't you give us your background first before we kind of get into the book? My So my background, um, played a lot of sports growing up. Then I did, I realized at some point that sports wasn't going to be the way I made my money. Um, I think there were some mental things there for me where I just didn't enjoy beating people up in football. I mean, it's a fun game, but you get injured a lot. So then I did a mechanical engineering degree, got a little frustrated there. Then I got a, cause I was like, these business people are screwing me over. So then I did a, a business degree, an MBA did that. And then I've kind of, my wife and I decided at that point to open an Irish dance business instead of following a job. So had a kind of the entrepreneurial a lot of that based on rich dad, poor dad stuff. If you've read that, like you want assets, you don't just want a job. 
which yes, it's a lot of mental strife there. So then I've worked in tech for a while, helped a guy write a book, uh, inadvertently ended up writing this book. And then um, I worked at a tech company just recently. We went from 20 people to 180, took 54 million in private equity and I worked there for a year. Then I've had a chance to step back. So I got this published and put out. How, uh, how'd you end up in Irish dance? Are you Irish? Is your wife Irish? My wife did Irish dance for like 10, 15 years when she was young. Then she quit right before she went to college, but then she was recruited to this, to BYU where she, they wanted her to actually build the program and teach. So oh. then she got back into it and she was, this is during the river dance craze. And so then everyone was like, Hey, you're the only teacher. So then they, she started teaching classes inadvertently when we got married, it was something she did on the side, but we didn't know if she wanted to do it for a long time. It was never like my, it was never her dream to do it. But then she had about 50 students and we're like, when I graduated, we were the only certified school in the state. So it's like, well, this is just a random opportunity. How do we want to take advantage of it? Yeah, it's funny. I was trying to think of river dance. I'm like, is that like, that was the thing on the TV with the guy and the, the mist and the fog. There you go. Yep. With yep. the lubed up chest. Yep. Everyone remembers oh that. that <laughs> and the leather pants. You don't get any better. Come on. Wow. But yeah, I've never done Irish dance at all. I did my, I did country dance and stuff like that. Dance for me was a mode to get close to chicks when I was young. Right. <laughs> so Can you imagine you if you're Irish dancing to, uh, Irish dancing to engineering and engineering well, well, and the business. Well, well the, the Irish dance has always kind of been this back. I don't know. It's always this background thing that's running. My wife runs most of it. I do all the tech stuff, the marketing, you know, CRM stuff. And we go through the strategy of it. I take care of the road. I live in Utah. So it's, you know, snowed twice as much as normal. So I clear all the snow. I deal with all the maintenance, that type of stuff. Wow. So, we kind of have this partnership in the Irish thing in the studios actually behind my house. That's one of the oh, things really? we decided to do. <clears throat> so it's this great, like allows her to have stuff she can do. We make pretty good money off of it. It's given me kind of the ability to take bigger risks in my career, which has been nice. So that's actually how they got the book. I know I, I was with a startup and then it went out of business. <laughs> and then my wife's like, well, we got, we took care of our debt already. We have the Irish dance business that's keeping us running. What do you want to do? So then I was like, well, I'll help this guy write a book. And so what was the original book that you helped him write about? What was that about? Uh, the original book, his he looked at entrepreneurship levels and families. There's actually some interesting data where there's some ethnic groups in the U.S. that have lower entrepreneurship. Like Asian Americans are 11% entrepreneurs. Then whites are about 10, uh, Hispanic, I think, are six, and then African-American are three. So he was like, is this a consequence of family structure? So then I was doing uh, a lot of research as well as just going and talking to people who had gone through different family structures, right? There's, you know, divorces, same sex, you know, marriages, people who had gone from a straight marriage to a same sex. And I was doing all this research and we were like, how is this affecting a person's ability to start a business? and maintain a business. So that was the original, I think it's called the a family edge, but it was a very academic book since he was in the academic world. And I'm the engineer like, that's cool, but how do we get people to use it? So I had just come up with this model and I was like, I think we should do it this way. And he said, that's your book. So it wasn't a, uh, Hey, I like to do this and I really want to write a book. It was more, 
this seems super functional and useful, especially for me from the business world. And I know most men come from the business world. We understand all the business principles and then we go to family life and we're like, what the freak is going on? I feel like it's harder in this some senses to be married than it is to do the business stuff. And that's so funny because you're 100% accurate with the academic books. It's so much. It's like, oh, look at this great information. And then we just stop. It's just like, okay, well, and then, I mean, I guess you use it however you want to use it. So um, I love, I, I love what you're doing because w- we try to take such a holistic approach to life and making sure that everyone in your life is getting the best of you and you are kind of like um, in investing yourself into what is going to pay its dividends long-term, not just worrying about the numbers in the bank account or not just worrying about being professionally successful and having this collapsing family that's kind of just falling mm-hmm. behind you because you're the one paying the bills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's really where, <clears throat> when I came up with this model, which was just a lot of taking business principles and applying it to family, it, it was insightful for me personally. I was like, oh, I'm under-investing in these areas of my life and over-investing in these. Okay, I need to tweak up my investment strategy. And when I say investment, I don't just talk about investing in financial for things you can make money off of. It's, am I investing in my relationships? And am I investing in myself and in my kids, right? So that's where I I like it because for men, I think we're like, well, where's my returns coming from? I don't know. (laughs) When I was a young married, felt like I was treading water. You know, you're like, holy crap, can I even make this thing work? I mean, just like a startup, frankly, right? You're just like, there's always a little bit of conflict with your spouse trying to figure those things out. And it seems like you're just, can I keep my head above water? <clears throat> and as you look at it holistically, you go, oh, now I understand all these different variables. I mean, that's where I, like, I loved Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because it helped me understand how money flowed. And it has the idea of a flywheel in there, right? You get assets, you make income, get cash flow, buy more assets. If you do that for long enough, you're going to be wealthy because there's that financial flywheel, but we don't look at it in terms of our relationships and in terms of our uh, personal health and abilities. So is is that where the, um, is that where the concept of the flywheel comes in? Yeah, that's, well, I'm a mechanical engineer. (laughs) So there's flywheels in mechanics. You know, it's this thing that maintains momentum. It provides stability and you can add more and more energy to it. And, and I like it from a business perspective because you see this in every successful business, right? Microsoft was worth, or not Microsoft, Google was worth a million dollars in 2000 and almost got bought by Yahoo. And now because they made good decisions in terms of, well, we made money and then we hired, we built more products and then we took care of our employees. We did all these things. This is the flywheel effect. And now it's worth what? 1.5 trillion, I think last I, I looked at it. You know, and and same with Walmart, you know, it took them 20 years to build their first thousand stores. And then they were able to do it between the years of, you know, I think pretty much they've for the last few years, they've built over a thousand stores in a year. So you just see this magnitude of your ability to lift and do more and more things. It's just like going to the gym, right? You start out, you can't lift crap. And then by the end, you're like, I'm putting up more in a day than I used to put up in a week. So that's this flywheel effect of reinforcing systems that make you stronger and stronger. And so at its like at its core, most strategic, like base level, somebody that is not implementing any of this into their family and just wants to kind of start, where do they even start? Well, for me, the biggest, this is where some of the misconceptions are somehow people like I want money. 
well, you don't want money. You want a business model that's going to generate money. So to me, <clears throat> this comes into what is the strategy that you're trying to implement with your, with your family, whether it's just you or whether it's you and a spouse, right? Are you trying to do a blue collar strategy and then maybe convert that to a blue collar entrepreneur strategy? Are you trying to do a white collar strategy? Are you trying to do military? Like what strategy are you personally trying to do? And then how does that fit with the strategy that your spouse is doing if you have one? Right. So you look at the strategy and you go, what is my what is my mission or purpose? Sometimes it's just to make money. I think as we get older, it becomes a little broader to help society in specific ways. So figuring out your strategy is very important and your career and then figuring if you're aligned with your spouse. Because if you know you, if you and you, you know, if, if the three of us wanted to go into business and we all wanted to go into separate businesses, you'd say we should not go into business. <laughs> this is a very simple answer. So it's a lot about. Where, what are we collectively trying to do, the two of us? And I think in some, there's become this weird idea where people are like, well, we're both going to do the same jobs. Like if all three of us are like, hey, we're going to go do a company and we're all going to be salespeople. Well, someone needs to do the other stuff. So it's really like trying to find a compliment, you know, and how are we going to work through just some of the base logistics? Because I think a lot of people get married and most of the dating apps, frankly, are like, she's hot. She's hot. <laughs> cool. Let's go out. Oh, we can get married. And you're like, that's a horrible way to find a business partner or a life partner, but it's a great way to find hot people. <clears throat> so there's that, that core piece of the business model is the strategy. And then you look at the structure, right? And that's talking about what meetings are you going to have in business? We have quarterly meetings. We have annual meetings. We also have daily meetings and or weekly, usually, <clears throat> what kind of structure do you have there? And then what kind of structure do you want your family? You know, do you want to live with your parents for a while? I did. I lived with my in-laws, helped us get some money, right? What type of structures or do you want to, are you blended family? Like all family structures have different pros and cons. None of them are necessarily bad. They can be really hard <laughs> if you're trying to use a specific strategy, though. Does that make sense? Because I'm not trying to tell you, hey, here's the best way, according to me. I'm just trying to say, here's all the pieces. I, I think I think the the biggest thing there is like I think so many people, like you said, like there is no there's no strategy. They're not they're not there's a strategy if they're if they're going into business, right? They have a they have a business plan, but but I mm -hmm. think a majority of people are really they're they're living life to try to accomplish the most in the one thing or the two things that they, that they judge themselves on, right. Their, their own personal scoreboard, whether it's their, you know, whether it's their physical or, or their, or their bank account or whatever it is. But other than that, they're not, they're not really worrying about anything else other than just the easiest part to get by. And I know we've talked about it a ton of times, but Martin, Martin works with a, um, Martin works with a suicide prevention group that it's all generally affluent kids that do not have, um, they, they're not, they're not broke, you know, living in squalor people that are, that are worried about suicide. They're legitimately well off families that whatever the reason is, is it's not fulfilling them mentally. And yeah, well, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, this is an interesting place. I had a three boys that I did an experiment with last year, I was like, they were kind of living in their parents' basement, not doing anything. And I was like, what's going on? I tried to help them with a company. A lot of them just need therapy. But the bigger thing I think 
a lot of them, when I say therapy, it's more like, what are you trying to do in life? What is their, what is their, what do they feel like their purpose is? And I've, <clears throat> there's a book called Escaping the Endless Adolescence, where it talks about so many kids get caught up with this, nothing I do matters. You know, go through school. You're doing math problems no one cares about. You're writing papers no one really wants to read. And then we give you a grade at the end and say you're a, a, a great person or a failure based on this crap that no one wants. And then if you don't do well, then you're a failure in life. <laughs> and and if you do do well, then they're like, hey, go do more of this for the next four to 10 years. I mean, it's in, in essence, I think it's a purgatory of some making. It's not meaningful and it's not purposeful. And that's one of the harder things I think for us as parents is trying to get our kids into finding, helping them find purpose, helping them find meaning, <clears throat> because that's where that's where you get the the mental health side, I think, and you can feel purposeful. I mean, I've cleaned dishes at jobs. I've, I've cleaned toilets. You know, I've done the worst, lowest jobs. And I found them fulfilling because they I had a purpose. They were part of my journey and I understood my journey. But a lot of these kids, they just are like, well, what am I doing? And why am I doing it? I don't know, but it sucks. And so screw this. And then they kind of just check out. I don't know if that's what you've seen, Martin. Yeah, I mean, I've seen that a lot, and and the parents kind of enable that too. And uh, uh, some of these other issues I've seen is where the kids won't take those um, those entry level jobs, you know, because they're 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 affluent. So well, uh, that's that's beneath me. So what they find is that there's nothing fulfilling. It's almost like their uh, standard of um, uh, what do you call it? Not entertainment, their lifestyle. But, yeah, their lifestyle all of a sudden, you know, becomes uh, to a point where, where nothing's fulfilling, nothing's, then they go to drugs or the, you know, try to find all these uh, dopamine fixes to, to try to cover things up. But yeah, then, then in the end, it's, you know, it's what happens. They're hopeless. Well, and this is, <clears throat> so the three components of a family business model, as I call it, there's the strategy we talked about, there's the structure. The last piece is the culture. Right. And you see most wealthy guys that I've met, at least didn't grow up wealthy. They had this attitude of I'm going to get crap done. I want to do this. I'm going to sacrifice whatever needs to happen. You know, a, a lot of them played sports, which is where you develop the, you know, no pain through lifting, no gain. So you go through this mental shift of I'm going to do whatever it takes. But then they get wealthy and then <clears throat> they start to get pulled by the business that they're running or the success that they're having into that, because a lot of times they're only measuring themselves, what you, according to what you said, Paul, and I agree, according to the financial, look how much money. Now I made more money. Give me more stars, right? Instead of saying, yeah, but what am I, what's my culture and what am I teaching my kids? Am I showing them that I value them? Am I pulling them in? And I teaching them the same culture that I use to build myself to greatness. And a lot of, I've seen entrepreneurs I've talked with them and they've said, well, I don't want my kids to have to suffer like I did, but I'm like, but look at you, you know, it's like saying, I don't want my kids to have to weightlift like I did. Well, then they're not going to be strong. Why are you raising weak children? Yeah. And that, that, that's one of the hardest things, um, for parents to understand is you cannot nerf the world for your kids. You can, you can make them feel safe to where they can come and talk to you about a problem they're having, but you can't stop them from having problems because if you stop them from having problems, they're never able to 
overcome objectives. They're never able to overcome problems. And I think that like Martin said, with the kind of affluent youth not taking jobs because they're beneath them, you know, part of that is, 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 is family structure, right? If they see that everything, right. Just, just like how you, you know, your, the original book that you helped out with, um, are those, are those races, um, having an issue on them? No, the the race isn't having the issue on the entrepreneurship level. It's what they're growing up with. And, and if you're not growing up with it and you don't understand what is going on to become an entrepreneur, then it's not your, it's not your zero base. And if you're you don't see that your dad is, you know, if you see that your dad is too good to clean a toilet or he's too good to wash his own car or change his own oil once in a while, or, or he hires everything out because he's so busy that he doesn't have time, then of course you're, you're never going to be, you know, you're never going to be able to do any of those jobs or even have an interest in doing those jobs. Yeah. Well, and this is the weird thing that I've discovered. I think when we were back in the olden days, we would, most boys would become, you know, 10, 12, and then they would go work with their dad in the farm. So there was a very, they saw their dad work all the time. The, it was just monkey see monkey do. They saw how much he worked. They saw his work ethic. They saw all of that. But now I noticed, you know, I'm a, in tech. Well, okay. I'm going to go sit on a computer <laughs> like, and then I'm going to work from home. And even if my kids see me work from home, well, they're like, that looks like he's playing a video game. It looks the exact same. So even if they do see it, they don't understand it. So I think it's, it's a challenge for us. And one of the things that I tried to do with my kids was give them experiences. We did, we did snow skiing, for instance, right? Where it's, there is a real life. You can't nerf skiing. <laughs> There's no, it's like, here's the reality. We're going to go down this slope. And then they go through it, they fail, right? They get hurt, they get hurt a little bit. Then they get back up, you nurture them a little bit. And then they keep going and they realize, oh, I can overcome that. And then you're like, okay, now let's move to the next level of slope. And then the same thing happens. And then they move to the, you know, black diamonds. And then, okay, now they, they've gone through this process of learning. Oh, the process for learning and being successful involves failing, but then, you know, not failing in the sense of hitting a tree and killing yourself. But failing in the sense of what well, you're trying to achieve this objective, you fall down, keep going on that, that goal. And I've done that with mountain biking. I've done that with um, Irish dance. All my kids danced. And it was the same, like, you got to get to the top level. And so they would have to go through the obstacles. And so that's where I think it's our job. <clears throat> my wife didn't love the metaphor originally, but I think especially as fathers, our job is to kind of put weight on our kids' shoulders, especially the boys. It's like we're the spotters in the gym. We got to keep giving them responsibility so that they're stronger and stronger. Otherwise, they're going to be super weak. And I mean, there's this, like you said, you can't nerf the world. Some parents, I think they say the world is a dangerous place. I'm going to protect you from it. And then there's the counter argument. The world's a dangerous place. I need to prepare you for it. And that's where you look at the psych, the physically it's that way, mentally it's that way. And so you got to focus on how are we preparing the kids and other, you know, and other men and our, you know, our groups for that reality, not trying to nerf it. Like you're not going to go through life at this point without having layoffs, sickness, you know, other problems with children on apps. There's always going to be these obstacles and you kind of go, isn't that what we want? <laughs> I want more weight on my shoulders. I want to go to the gym and have more challenges, not less. So I think it's a mental shift. And that's the big, that's the important part of the family business model, as I call it. That's the culture. You know, what do you believe? If you guys have read the book Mindset by Carol Dweck, 
you know, it's so good because it's like, how do you perceive the world? If I go to the gym and I see some guy putting up five, you know, he's freaking benching 500 or squatting these huge amounts. Am I like, dude, I'm never going to be like him. <sighs> or am I like, dude, that's inspirational. What did he do? And then I can go talk to him and be like, dude, amazing. What did you do? Well, here's my lifting plan. And then you're like, great. Now I have a way to go at it. So I think a lot of it's what culture are you implementing with your children? And you've, you've got it right on the head, Paul. If you're like not willing to do any of the hard work or not spending time with your kids, there's no way you're going to indoctrinate them with your belief system. They're going to be indoctrinated by the school system, which is sit down, shut up, which is really hard for most boys. I, I definitely didn't like school. Uh, I had I figured out ways to get through all the crap that I did, but it was not a, oh, I love this. I so love not doing things and just learning about things. It was like, no, when I got to do them, it was so much funner. I legitimately got kicked out of geometry class in high school because I faked a seizure. Like, no lie. Yeah, that that was not in my parents were not impressed. But like, that's the thing. Like school was not school was not my jam. But then, you know, hit mid 20s, late 20s. And now I love learning. Like learning is is my life learning new things. Um, it's funny that you mentioned therapy with those three with those three gentlemen that you were that you were working with, because I don't. this might even been on a podcast that you were on. But it hit me with what is therapy? therapy is, is, is talking, right? Like the reason so many kids today need therapy is because they're not fucking talking to their parents. Like generally mm -hmm. that what your, what, what your child's therapist is doing with them. That's really originally your job. Like what happened at school today? Oh, this and this happened. You, you had this struggle. How did that make you feel? Did you you know, did you overcome the objective or this, or the struggle, or did you just, you know, fail? And, and it's, it's this, this constant investment of your time. And it, just like everything else, we farm that out now. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's, that's the, it's so perfect because if you look at it, I'm a computer programmer. I mean, I do all sorts of crap actually, but that's one of the things I do. And I just look at when people are like, need therapy, it's like, you have all this stuff that you haven't processed. Well, I needed this experience and then I had it. Now I don't know what to do with it. So I'm going to assume teachers are dicks. Okay. And you know, that's going to affect a lot of things. And then you go, why did the teacher do that? You know, if you have the time and you're there to process it immediately, you know, and that's what my mom used to do. And my dad, if my mom had some issues with it, but I'd come home from school, my mom's there. How was the school day? Oh, here's what happened. Like I failed a test, but why? Well, was I prepared for it? No, I didn't prepare. Oh, okay. <laughs> need to learn. Here's the lesson to learn. Prepare for tests. Oh, I didn't know it was happening. Oh, you didn't get your schedule right. Oh, you know, I just, I prepared, but I prepared for the wrong stuff. Oh, okay. Did the teacher give you bad instructions or did you not follow them? Right. There's all these things that are trying to, that are like your processes that help you go, oh, here's how to win at school. And so if you get those processed, then you will win. It's not that, it's not that hard of a game. I mean, in college for me, it was pretty much go to all my classes take care of my homework on a daily basis. And I got through, I mean, <laughs> my, my engineering was painful just trying to figure it all out because you're trying to wrap your brain around thermo thermodynamics and heat transfer. But it was just, if you do the work, just like the gym, you want the muscles, here's the general strategy to do it and you'll succeed. And that's where I think that so many parents, when they're like, well, I'm going to outsource that or I'm not going to be home for my kids because I got to make money. Okay, well, how much would you pay to fix a screwed up kid when they're 18. Oh, I'd pay, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe millions of dollars. Well, 
okay, that's what you're trading off right now. Like, and I've seen that over and over where it's like, well, you made the money, cool, but now you just have to spend it on this. Not to mention the kid is now in a, I've, they probably didn't do well in school because you didn't spend the time they failed. They've been labeled as a failure. They've gotten into groups that aren't healthy. So there's this downward spiral that happens mainly because you just weren't there helping them work through things. I don't, right? yeah, I don't remember where I heard it, but there was somebody talking, this is years ago. I heard him talking about how much money we, we spend on college, right? We take four years of our life, two years of our life, six years of our life, depending on where you're going. And you look at that total bill, right? We take out, we take out loans. Like nobody pay, very few people pay for that, that bill up front. So we take out these loans and then we have these loans that we then have to pay back. So that was, that was for your success. Why the fuck aren't you willing to do that and sacrifice a little bit for the success of the literally most parents will tell you the most important people in your life. Right. But we're like, no, both moms, mom's got to go back to work in six weeks. Dad gets two weeks off. We're back. And you're at a babysitter, you know, the majority of the time, or you're staying with grandma. Like I have that issue with my first daughter, love her to death. She's 19 years old. My mother-in-law watched her all the way up until she went to school. Grandparents are great. They're amazing grandparents are not there to instill structure or realistic expectations in your children. Grandparents are there to be grandparents. You know what grandparents do? Give them whatever they want. And you know how hard it is to parent that out of a fucking 18 year old? Yeah, no. And and that's, that's really where I, I like the, as you expand it, I've seen it with my parents as I've built a lot of these structures out. And some of the things my parents have been like, Oh, okay. I don't want to counter. Now that I understand what you're trying to achieve, I'm not going to contradict that. And so I think it's, there's so many, so many people, I think in society who are going, who don't know where they're going. Therefore it's really hard for anyone to help them get there. Right. And so a lot of it is like, and I agree, you know, like my mom, she watched our kids a little bit when my, I was in college and my wife was teaching Irish in college, you know, it was like this weird dance and she'd watch them for a few hours. But then my wife and I, because we had this dance studio behind the house, my wife would take care of the kids in the day. I would come home from work, grab them and take care of them at night. And it's actually interesting in that sense of how do you manage that and how do you make sure they're getting taught what you want them to teach or what they want you want them to learn? And it's if you're not intentional about it, then you're like, well, I got to work on this business thing. And and I didn't realize the magnitude of it. There's a book. um Warren, Warren Farrell and John Gray's book, The Boy Crisis, where it says there's like 50 different negative outcomes that occur if the dad's not in the home, if he's not in the home or if he's just absent working all the time. And one of the biggest ones was IQ is 15 points lower. And that's a massive amount of IQ. You go from being, that's like engineer level down to do basic things. And so I think that men, myself included, so I'm pointing the fingers at me, I didn't understand the magnitude of what I was doing, but because of the structure actually in my life where my wife would take the kids and then she had dance at night, I had to take care of the kids. And what did I do? I would play with them. I would teach them different things, do all these different games. And and those would be the things that would would, uh, help the kids grow. And one of the things that I talk about in the book, there's these roles of nurturer and challenger that a kid needs right? If you have too much challenger, the kids get broken mentally. And then they're like, they avoid risk. And if you have too much nurture, then they get soft. And that's usually the male and the female role in a relationship. 
And, and so, you know, you'll go play with dad. I used to play on the, the trampoline with my kids and roll, do steamroller. I don't know if you've heard of these. Oh games. yeah. <laughs> roll over them, grab them. And all the kids would, all these little kids, even if they weren't mine would want to, you know, in family rooms, they'd be like, Oh, I want to come play with this, this guy. Yep. And then they would get, and they'd be running around and streaming and loving it. And occasionally one of them would get hurt. Oh, something would get rolled on. Oh, ow, you little. And then they would jump off and the mom would be like, Oh, that's so good. Okay. You're back. And then the kid would be like, run back in. Right. It's just like, it's in like a football game. I want to get back in the game. And that's where I think men don't realize how valuable that is. And men usually like to play with the kids, but they play with them on the level of their ability. Yeah. Right. Like when I play basketball with my son, I mean, I'm six, four, I played, <laughs> played ball a lot. And he was like, you know, this little kid, if he's pushing himself, I'm going to give him a little space to be successful. But as soon as he starts slacking off, he's going to get destroyed, right? I've got to say, like, you don't do that. If you're going to push, great, let's do it. If you're not, I'm not going to give you any space. And so it's that type of stuff where men usually like to play with their kids on the edge of their learning and build abilities. And that's what I think comes down to how much influence we can have. And then the, I mean, for the girls, for your young daughters too, it's like, if you're, if the dad's not present, I think it's like 80% of rapes happen to women who didn't have a dad present. And it's because men are complicated and they're like, they just don't know how to deal with men. They don't know how to, how men think. And so when you have a dad, they help that. So I think it's this side of, we have a very important role in our family, but I don't think for me, when I was younger, I didn't realize it luckily because of how my life was structured. It, we got into there, but I, I mean, there were some really hellacious times in my life when I couldn't get work or when I made a bad financial decision. And I was like, dude, my family would be better without me. And it was this very negative, depressed state. And now I look at it and I'm like, dude, they really wouldn't have. There's so much more that I brought to the table than just provider and protector. And there's no replacement for that time. There is absolutely no, like you can't, there's no, there's no hack. There's no, you can't just, you know, oh, I'm going to do something where this hour of my time per week is really like 10 hours. There's, there just is no replacement. And, um, some of those studies that, that you were talking about with, with the, the fathers in the lives, one of the, one of the weirdest things that I thought, and, and when you look at back at it, it kind of makes sense is empathy that the children were much less empathetic without a father figure. And I was like, that doesn't make sense because the mother is the empathetic one. But then when you look at it, a mother is generally not empathetic. A mother is sympathetic. And if, if something happens and you go home, the mother is generally the nurturer. And she's like, I'm sorry that happened. Oh my gosh. You know, let's get through this. Whereas the father's like, what the fuck did you do to cause that to happen? And sometimes it's not necessarily the kid's fault, but most of the time they had a little bit to do with it. Right. And, and that's what you see with these children that are coming out of these single mother families is, do you remember? And I would, I would love to go back and like have some sort of a, a looking glass to see the, the, how the kids ended up where the moms would come into the school and yell at the teacher. We all had those, like everybody knew those kids and the moms would come right. Like Martin, you're in a group with some of these moms right now. <laughs> uh, and right. Yeah. Well, I would I like to go back and the see coaching too. So the moms are coming to football practice and yelling at the coaches for getting on their kids. So, and I want to see a different I, society. I want to see like, I want some sort of a, a reverse study to see how those kids end up. Cause we all know, but right. Like I want to see it in like numbers. Yeah. 
No, I think there's there's a very interesting point where this structure, I think women are very generally, I mean, they're higher in neuroticism, if you're familiar with that trait in the five, big five personality, they tend to be higher in neuroticism. They want to keep their kids safe. They want to get them, keep them from being hurt. And that's why we see that. They're like, oh, all of these things are hurtful and they're going to hurt their their self-esteem or their confidence and all this crap. But they're not taking into account. So that's the thing. And I've seen it with some men and they talk about in the boy crisis. But and my brother actually talked to me like his wife would didn't want him to play with the kids. You know, she would play with the kids. One would get hurt a little bit and then she'd be like, dude, stop hurting the kids. And it's like <laughs> she didn't understand. That's part of why I think it's so important for the women and the men to understand that she didn't understand that was part of it. Right. And so, and I've seen that with, uh, another, uh, another of my brothers, you know, he went up to talk to his son and then all of a sudden there's this, all this commotion going on. She runs up. She's like, Oh, what's going on? They're fighting. And they're like wrestling on the floor. Right. It's like those type of things are natural, but they do not make sense to women at all. They seem dangerous. They seem like they could be hurtful. They don't seem like they're building the relationship. And that's one of the things that when there was a guy I listened to, Recently, I didn't put it in the book, but he said, men build relationships in the presence of stress, right? We love to, it's football. You know, even I play volleyball on a weekly basis. You know, we get together, we we, we, we hurt each other as much as we can to, to win, even get hitting in the face, hurting arms, and then we break up the teams in different, and then we fight again. We just love this fighting. And then at the end, you're like, dude, yeah, this is awesome. We love you. Thanks for coming. It was great. And that's, we need the stress, but women form relationships in the absence of stress. So they want to sit and talk and, you know, there's no stress and relax. And it's such a different dynamic. And it was funny. I saw my two nephews, I had two nephews and two nieces at a recent family reunion. They were playing a, a game and the boys are like egging each other on, you know, you got to do a little trash talk, that type of stuff. And the girls were like, just stop, just stop. We're trying to have a good game. And you're like, yeah, they're trying to build relationships and you guys are trying to build relationships. They're just two different methodologies and they work different. And if you prevent all of the stress, then you're not going to have the relationships and it makes no sense to women. And it, and men don't usually, they're like, man, this meeting, like, well, you want to sit here with your friends and just talk? This sucks. Like, let's go do something. And so it feels like there's that point, you know, if men like to do activities where someone could get hurt and if they don't, it's great, but... And women like to yeah. do it where everyone's safe and secure. Well, you can really see with the young boys. I mean, I got my youngest is 11 and my, my ex-wife keeps complaining that it's like, Oh, you always hurt him when you wrestle with him. Cause he said he gets hurt. But the thing is, uh, she doesn't see that, you know, when he's by me, he wants to wrestle and, you know, I'll give him some jujitsu pretzel locks and, and, uh, he'll be like, Oh, that hurts. That hurts. And, and then I'll just kind of push him away and then he'll come running back again over and over like an hour straight, just getting these little bruises on him. And I'm like, Oh geez, I'm going to get reported in, but it's uh yeah, you can see with boys, they, they want that, you know, that's, that's inbred in them. We're, we're doing this thing in society right now, which I, which I absolutely fucking hate is homogenizing the sexes. And we're trying to blend the, the psychologies in the brains of men and women and say that everyone is, everyone is created equal. But what we're doing is we're running gasoline cars on fucking diesel fuel because the, you have to deal 
with different people differently. And by doing that, we have to generalize. And I'm in business. And if I deal with the women that I do business with the same way that I deal with the men that I do business with, I will not be doing business with women anymore. I specifically have, I have female customers that I work with that if I treated them the way that I treat the men I do business with, because if if you if you're doing business with a man and he's got a dumb idea, right? You can be like, "That's a fucking dumb idea. This is why." Right? <laughs> if I if I said that to some of the females that I do business with, they would hold a grudge on me for the next 774 years and never listen to anything I have to say for the rest of my life because that's just generally how the female mind works and it's a very much a generalization. Whereas like a guy, like I can tell him he's got a stupid fucking idea and Five minutes later, we're moved on to the next stupid idea, and it might be my stupid idea this time. But and then he tells you it's a stupid exactly. idea. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a there's a weird dynamic, and I, I was when I was young, especially with my kids. That's I was kind of in this. I'd bought in, or that's what I'd been pushed with so much. Like, oh, women are men of the same. The only reason we don't have women in tech is because women are not given the technical skills. They're not given those abilities. So I had. I have four kids, three daughters and one son. It goes, you know, girl, boy, girl, girl. And so I was like, I'm going to raise them pretty homogenous. I'm going to, I mean, I'd like to play with them all. I did my dad thing. You know, we did all the activities, skiing, mountain biking, all those things together. And then I went to this, you know, we got, we had to get into the point when my kid daughter's 16, 17. And I'm like, so what do you want to do? You know what? Cause we're looking at college now. Is it going to be useful? How do we make it useful? And she's like, well, maybe I want to be a doctor. Maybe I want to be a computer science person. Maybe I want to be a veterinarian. I'm like, really? You want to be a computer science person? She's like, no, not really. I'm just saying that for you. Because I had given her all the, I trained her in, you know, everything in Photoshop. I had, she'd done built apps, JavaScript, CSS, you know, all this stuff. And my son, I did the same thing with, well, what does he want to do? I want to be a computer science major. And it was, you know, I'm like, I did as much as I could, gave him the same flexibility to roam. They, every single thing they said I did. And then at the end, my wife, my daughter, so now she's a nurse. She's graduated. She's married. Right. I'm like, huh. So you want to go into the field that's 97% female. Weird. Okay. Like it was nothing to do with my, the way I raised because I gave her the options. You know, she had physics, all the math, everything I could have done to set her up correctly for the technical stuff. And she was like, Nope. And she still loves, I mean, I, it's disgusting because she sends me all these operation pictures. Hey, look what we took out of this person. I'm like, oh, why do I want this? She just loves everything with anatomy and all that stuff, which is great. She loves her job. She loves what she does. But it's this whole thing of they're not the same. And if you treat them the same, to your point, I've noticed the same thing at work. You know, guys will just part of it's almost the negative banter, you know, like we dig, we know each other. So then you dig into them better, you know, like, Oh yeah. You remember that time you did that idiot, you know? And then it's like, then you come back at me and I'm like, Oh, Frick, you know, that's how you show you kind of love each other. And I, they talk about, you know, in the death professions, you know, like the military and the fire and the police, they kind of haze people in some ways to see, are you going to be strong enough when crap hits the fan mentally, or are you going to run to the authority? And yeah. that's where, you know, you'll give each other crap. And then if they run to the supervisor, he's being mean. You're like, dude, that guy's a pussy. Right. That's the yeah. stuff, you know, and you're kind of like, Hey, if we're in a fire and this guy is going to, well, there was a fire. So I didn't want to, my life is on the line. I got hurt and you're running to some supervisor. That's not going to do. So it's, it's this thing of kind of testing each other out mentally. And that's where I've found 
my, you know, my best friends are the ones that I've either played sports with, done business with, you know, done work with. It's not, I don't have good friends that I'm like, well, you know, I just met him and we just kicked it off. And then we have lunch every once in a while. It's like, no, we went through some experience that bonded us together. Yeah. And, and yeah. If, you, if, they're, I, if they're not giving you shit, then uh, there's something <laughs> wrong, right? That's what they say in the military all the time. I, uh, well, and yeah, and that's the funny thing they talk about in HR departments, right? That you get into this male female environment and the guys will be like, well, if I treat the women like the men, then the women go to HR and complain. But if I don't treat the women like the men, then they don't get the same bonding. So how, how do you want this to play out? I do this, I do this <laughs> thing that Martin loves where I take everything and, and bring it back to our tribal evolution. Cause, cause I have to say tribe at least in one once in every, every podcast. <laughs> and if you, if you think about, if you think about how that would have happened as we were out hunting and out on war parties through hundreds of thousands of years of evolution, like you're, you're exactly what you're saying, but that was every male. That was every male that was out on those, out on those, those, those hunts and those, and those, and those battles. You have to know that the person next to you is going to be as strong as you need him to be at that time. And you do not want to be in that situation without knowing that. So that's how you start to test and you test these little waters and you test and you test and you test and you see it with, you see it with siblings, right? You see it with puppies, fucking puppies test each other. And, and, and it's, and it's, and it's, it's crazy how so many of these things we look at them as like, right? Like we're, we, we've simplified everything in society and we're like, oh, well, this is, you know, it's, it's hazing. Yeah. You're goddamn right. It's hazing. Does it go too far sometimes? Yes, it does. And that's when we have to be like, it, it, this isn't like kick everybody out of fucking school for, you know, for beatings, the, the goalie with a broomstick, which we almost had, we almost had happen. Um, but you have a talk like, right guys, like you got, you guys went too far. Maybe this is a time to educate you on fucking on mob mentality. Right. And you guys were all pushing each other and it went too far. Oh yeah. That's a good point. Sorry. Right. Like these are all learning experiences, not like detrimental life experiences, unless you were the goalie that got beat up by the broomstick. Yeah. I don't, you look at this and it's just this whole mentality. Like that's where you get into this cultural element. And that's where I think we've become much more feminized in that, that protecting kids from stuff. Oh, there's a bully. I've heard stories about people being bullies. And I look at it going, what the F does this have to do with a bully? The kid wanted to do this. He, he, he wanted to take advantage of this opportunity. He kept taking advantage. So you didn't get a turn. He's not bullying you. He's just trying to get as much as he can. This is, there's so much where it's like everything has been either bullying or gaslighting. Like we have all these words for all this stuff and they're not actually accurate words for what's actually, what's going on. So I think it's a lot about helping kids go through it. Well, why did this happen? What's actually going on? Were you wrong? I think so many kids nowadays are convinced or young people are convinced that they're right about everything. And sometimes it's, I've seen it in schools. I've seen it in, at in religion where they're like, well, you guys are so amazing. I'm like, why? All you did is regurgitated the stuff that we told you to regurgitate. How is that anything? You haven't actually been creative and done anything cool. You're just regurgitating. Let's wait. You know, it's, it's kind of like when I see people in, in, um, in certain groups, I'm like, you haven't been through anything. Let's wait until the veterans, you know, it's like in the military. Okay. This boot camp, you guys look really good. Let's see the veteran. I'd, I'd put my money on veterans every day, though, over, you know, the SEAL team that's been and done it 20 times. And you guys are greenies, except the fact that most of you suck 
and these guys are great and they're they're proven and battle proven and you guys have no experience. So I think it's important for us to give our kids, like I say, to me as a dad, it's how do I give my kids these obstacles? How do I, it's like a spotter, right? You want to continue to be at the kid's limit, but you want to continue to do that, build them up. And that's where I see so much of, you know, for us men, men generally, I think that's how we want to be. (laughs) Oh, here's this cool. I just want to keep going to my limit. I kind of, that's the funnest place to be scary at times, but it sure is fun and memorable. And you're like, so you remember that time we almost died because of this? Yeah, it wasn't (laughs) good. I mean, I had a buddy who went on a rappelling trip and he's like, I miscalculated. So we were doing a 300 foot descent in the dark into water, you know? And I'm like, Oh, it seems a little spicy. And then we had a multi, you know, and he's like, I hope the rope was long enough, but I didn't know because I couldn't see. (laughs) And I'm just like, those type of experience, those type of things, men are like, you remember that for your whole life. And and that's the stuff you remember. Like you said, like you, nobody gets to the end, right? You don't, you don't talk to the old man and he's like, you know what I really enjoyed? I really enjoyed that, you know, that, that Sunday coffee. morning cough, coffee and, <laughs> and crumpet that I had every week. No, they're at Sunday morning coffee because they can't do shit that they almost die anymore or they will die, but they're talking about all the times that they almost fucking died. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's funny. You talked about, um, the, the structure with the kids and, and just letting them go. And my daughter was in public school, absolutely hated it. She had some, some slight behavioral issues. She had a behavioral counselor who would come talk to her once a week. And she just, she couldn't get over this kind of like this, this ridiculous, just getting upset at the most random times. And she hated going to school. She would cry going to school two days a week. And we pulled her and we put her in, we put her in parochial school and about two months worth of this shit ain't going to fly. And hasn't been an issue in two years. It was, she was allowed to get away with it. There were three other kids in the class that were also doing it and it was just normal. There was, it was never in her head that like, this just isn't okay. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, I want to be here. I have to get my shit together. No issues. Yep. Well, and this is the whole, this is a lot of times when they talk about men playing with their kids or working with their kids, they help you see the limits. Not only like when you fight with your kids, I've been fighting. I have a couple of nephews. I'll fight with them, you know, just play around. And every time they're like, okay, now I'm going to see if I can go for your nuts. Let me see. You know, like, and you're like, Hey, you want to, or they'll start to scrape with their fingernails. They're starting. I'm like, you really want to do that? You know, it's like this, here's the limit. You sure? Cause I could do that too. And they're like, Ooh, you know, it's this whole level of like helping them go through the thinking and helping them go through it. And, and being there and, but having a firm line. And I, that's where they said that, you know, like you, a lot of women don't see the line that you're there. They're like, he's just playing with them. There's no line. And you're like, no, it's there. You just don't see it. And so that's the place where they need to have that line, but they need to be pushed. And it's, and if there's not a line, I, I saw in some of my classes, a lot of teachers where they don't have the firm line. And then they're just like, well, yeah, if you're not going to be the authority, then some kid's going to be the authority. Someone has to be that here and say that activity is not okay. And if you're not going to play that role, someone will, or you'll just get walked over. And that's what I saw. I mean, I had one teacher, my, I put my kids in a charter school that was, <laughs> A, had normal math, which I liked, Saxon math. And then it had 
uh, taught everyone an instrument. And it also had a lot of elements in it that were patriotic. You know, it's called John Hancock. So it was all about patriotism, those type of things. And some of the teachers were great, but there was one particular guy. He was the only male teacher there. And he had a whole set of structures. Like, here's how you get points. Here's how you become this. Here's how you get these rewards. And man, my kids just dug it. Oh, I get the system. I understand the rules. Then they execute them. Then they get the reward. It was none of that. Well, it's not your turn, blah, blah, blah. You know, and it was so funny because my one daughter, he had this whole system of like ranks, you know, and she went through everything because she's just like, oh, I can do this and get more points and I can do this. And he was like, I have to make up stuff because she's doing so much. <laughs> and that's where I think most kids are at, right? Most kids sit in school and they're like, A, this is easy and I'm bored. And what can I do else? And if I do anything else, I get yelled at. Or B, it's way over my head. There's these weird places for kids. Like, I don't know what they're talking about. And then it's like, well, how do you get the kids actually involved in their learning and involved mentally? And he had a, I mean, he at one point was like, okay, a kid will run the class and do the early stuff. So he started to give these kids more and more responsibility. He did, he taught my two kids in seventh grade and then one in third and you're just like, and these kids started to stand up and take on more responsibility and become greater because there was something to achieve instead of just, okay, we're going to sit you down. I'm going to lecture at you anytime, anything I, you don't want to do, you're the, you're the problem. I'll send you to the principal's office. It just didn't work. And everyone, all my kids love that teacher so much because he provided that structure and he provided that way. I don't know the structure and he helped them grow. I think the most is why they loved him. So majority of our audience is, you know, let's say 30 plus males. So we are post, um, let's say engineering our family. Our family is already created. We have our spouse, we have our kids generally. Um, give us some actionable points from the family flywheel that, that these guys can start to, to implement. I would say the uh, the big ones, I, I have some forms on my website, thefamilyflywheel.com that'll help you go through your business model. A big one is your culture. I've seen in so many families, I mean, I, I had six, there were six of us in my family. It's interesting how different messaging came across. You know, the youngest kid gets a total different message. The culture was different. And so a lot of it, I think, is what is your culture? What are you, what do you want to pass on to your kids? And be specific. What are the key elements of you that were, are successful that you want onto your kids? What beliefs, what values? You talk about some of these distinctions you're making. Oh, okay, is this sympathy or is this you know, empathy, right? These type of things. What are your values that you want to pass on? And there's a, I can't say specifically, I think mindset is a good one. I think being an actor, not a victim is a, is a very good one. Taking responsibility, those type of things. Those tend to be very valuable for some, for most cultures. But it's figuring out what are your cultural values that you want to reinforce with your kids. I have five in my family that we've come up with. I have a mission for, for my family that my wife and I and the kids are behind. And so then I can reinforce those over and over to my kids so that they're getting the message. They learn it versus what I feel like happened in my family was we all kind of like got raised and we're like trying to make sense. I think dad did this and mom did this. I think they value this. And they did a lot of, you know, we did church religiously, but it was still me trying to put together the composite of what I think my parents were trying to tell me instead of being intentional about your culture. You know, here's why we're going skiing. It's not just because we want to 
it's expensive and it's it's nice. It's we want to grow our experiences. We want to overcome things. And learning is a core part of our culture. And therefore, here's why we're doing it. Right. I mean, I put together, I have I do these culture things. I've been doing it for about a year where we reinforce these five values. And last year, at the end of the year, we did an annual planning where we said, hey, how did the last year go? What did we accomplish? What are we doing forward? And that's a meeting thing I think you should do. But I, I put together a video of my kids living the values and showed them doing it. And at the end, I had two of my, you know, two of my daughters were crying because they're like, I want to be part of this. Look, we are collectively moving forward. We're living our values. We are fulfilled. And I think so many times the especially as fathers, we're not leading, right? You can't sit there and have, well, why are my kids following me? Well, are you leading? And is it a compelling vision? And so that's the stuff where I think getting your values, also getting together your compelling vision. What is your family trying to accomplish? What is it that that you think is motivating, that your wife thinks is motivating, that your kids think is motivating, that they want to be a part of? Because I think right now, our kids have lost most identity. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't have an identity. Well, what are we? I don't know. Okay, well, then I'll just let society tell me. And then I'll, oh, I'm a Republican, or I'm a Democrat, or I'm this, or I'm transgender. All these different things. They're trying to find identity somewhere because we as parents haven't given it to them. So I would say the actionable ones, get your culture. Right? <laughs> what are your values? What are your core beliefs? What have made you great? Then get your strategy the vision part specifically of that and your purpose. And then I would look at some of the structures. Are you having at least weekly meetings for coordination with your kids? But I would say like I do a quarterly meeting. I would do a quarterly meeting with your kids and just review. Are we living our values? What successes have we had? Most men, I think we're kind of forward looking, you know? And so we're like, oh, I got all these things I want to do. I didn't accomplish much. This last quarterly meeting for me, I'm like, look at all the things that I accomplished in the last three months. It helps me go, it helps me get momentum. So I think get some of these things, the structure piece of some type of meetings where you can show progress, the, the culture, what are your values? And then your strategy, what is the purpose? And if you get those core pieces of the business model together, your kids will want to be part of the family, right? And you'll also look at the activities like, Oh, I'm going to go do skiing because it reinforces my cultural values, not because it's a fun activity and I'm trying to keep my kids busy, right? It's this is thing that's reinforcing. And so those are the activities that you want to look at. What are the things that are reinforcing? Because if you're like, well, we have a culture of hard work and discipline. Let's go to Mexico and drink and sit on the beach. Like That's not reinforcing, right? So that's the stuff where I think if you have values, then you can reinforce them for your kids. Big cultural so one in our household. To, oh, go ahead, Martin. So what do you say to the guys that are, um, you know, there's a lot of divorce guys that are listeners and you're dealing, uh, you know, like I'm divorced, you're a single uh, father, you got the kids half the time and you're dealing with, you know, values that, you know, someone else is opposite of yours and you're going to be contending against that. And what's, what's the strategy there? Well, I think... Again, Get having yours and being clear because the reality is you're probably going to be fighting against a much weaker opponent <laughs> because most people don't have their culture start figured out. So if you're like, here's what we're about and we're going to do activities when you have the kids that reinforce those that make them feel they're like, oh, I get this. And if you teach them those lessons, then they will, they'll be like, yeah, I'm buying into Martin's 
you know, his values and his culture because I've seen the fruits of them and I like it. Right. So if you have them, then you can do that. It is hard. And I talk about that in the book in the divorce thing, because you do have your kids half time. But having your own culture. So you're saying, here's what I believe is the right thing. Here's and then giving them experiences, those things, then they will be able to have that and believe in your culture. Does that make sense? Or is there yeah. more there? Oh. No, it's clear. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that that was perfect. That was that was exactly what I was looking for. Those are all like really easy, actionable uh, steps that guys can start to implement. And it's not just do this one thing; it's build this out, right? And it's and you and you can you can add on to it ongoing. Um, a big a big one that we that we try to push in our household is be a producer, not a consumer, or produce more than you consume. Because I mean, generally, especially in the United States, we have such a consumerist mentality. We're consuming media and we're consuming art and we're consuming food and we're buying clothes and we're, we're consuming everything. And there's very few people that are producing stuff. They're not, they're not producing ideas. They're not producing media. They're not producing art. They're not producing anything. And, and, and it doesn't matter what you're what your gift is, right? Everyone has a gift to give to the world. And if, if you are, if you are spending your time producing your gift, it, do, it doesn't matter whether it makes you a million dollars or you never make a dime from it. You are investing yourself into something that you love doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and this is, this is where I get into part of the reason I wrote the book was to try to get more holistic so that people would be on the same page. My wife and I played rich dad, poor dad together. And we both understood what an asset was, what a liability was, what a doodad is. We understood this common language, but I think we only had that in finance. And if you expand it to social resources, like your relationships, your group things, then you actually can look at your wife. I went to work and I made $5,000 this month and she invested in our social relationships in the family right? Just like you would say in a business, oh, this person went and worked on marketing, which are the social relationships of the business. They didn't produce, they didn't make any money because sales made all the money. No, no, we all understand sales and marketing are both part of it. And I think if you zoom out and you're like, what did I do? And what did you do? How did I invest in the family? And how did my wife invest in the family? And if you understand the investment types, then you can say, oh, here's what I did. There are people I've seen who literally the wife will stay home, do nothing useful pretty much. And that's bad. It's just like wasting time. But then there's times when, you know, I've also wasted, <laughs> play games on a Saturday, waste the time. We all do that at points. But the example I like to give, if you look at Mary Gates, Bill Gates' mother, she was a school teacher, married a lawyer. Then she had three children, stopped working to be with her kids. Then she started to invest in her community through community service. She was on the board of the University of Washington. Then she was on the board of United Way. Well, she happened to be on the board of United Way with the CEO of IBM. And that happened to be Bill Gates' big connection that made Microsoft take off. So if she had only been focused on the financial gains of the family, Bill Gates may not have made that connection or had that connection to go off of and may have cost the family $150 billion. Well, you would never know that, right? And if you only focus on the money, you would have neglected that. But since they were doing this other community service, he got the social benefits there. And that's the same thing I've noticed with my family. My, my, my mom was a super connector, super server. You know, when I got married, there were like 400 people at my wedding. <laughs> I was like, who are you? This is my wedding. I don't know who you are. Oh, your mom helped my son get his Eagle Scout. 
Oh, your mom helped my daughter when she was going through this rough time. Oh, your mom helped me when my husband died. Oh, you're not here for me. You're here for her. So it was my mom leveraging all of her social connections and all those people came and then they were asking me, how can I help you? Oh, what's your career? What can I do? Oh, and I'm going to give you a present. So it was this massive influx of her social connections and financial resources into my marriage because of my mom's community service. So that's where I think if we holistically look at the resources that our business model can invest in, we understand what should I be doing today? So a mom can be like, I'm going to go do service in the community and I'm going to take my kids because that reinforces our culture of service and it builds these connections. And then I'm going to teach my kids, take them shopping and I'm going to teach them how to shop. I'm going to teach them how to cook. I'm investing in the family's, you know, abilities and their human resources, right? That's where I think a lot of women are like, oh, I'm not doing anything. No, you're the human resources of the family, right? You're the one who keeps the family healthy. You're the one who takes care of the physical health, the mental health. You're the one dealing with all this insurance. There's so many logistic pieces and that's what you're doing. And it doesn't have a monetary value of, oh, $5,000 per month, but it does have these consequences of a family that actually is super functional and bound together and, and works together. And guess what, kids, if if you're out there and you're dealing with a bully or maybe you're not the most handsome guy in school, I would like to also talk about Bill Gates in that situation. Because if Bill Gates was a handsome motherfucker that was just the best ball player at his high school, you he would also not have $150 billion because it takes a lot of getting picked on and called a nerd and shoved in your locker to be like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take over the world of computers. You'll see. <laughs> And I can't even take credit for that one because that's from a, a comedian that that actually wrote a whole song about that. But um, but 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 really, like, it takes everyone is on their own journey, and that journey is what is going to make you. And you can look at any sort of challenge that you have, whether it's a bully or sports or of a, a, a troubled household or or whatever your challenges are, and you can look at those challenges and you can say they're holding me down. Or you look at you can look at those challenges and say, guess what? When I overcome these, it's going to be like a big fucking slingshot, and and that's what is going to make or break your life. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and one one other thing that I've looked at, there's a book I just read called The Gap in the Game, where it talks about thinking about historically your your experiences, and then kind of what did you learn from it? How did you go through it? And I remember at one point in 2007, I decided to invest in real estate. Good <laughs> timing. Time ever. Good timing. Perfect timing. Buy high, sell low. That's the strategy. And I invested. My family, I'd kind of, I'd got a job. We were doing okay. And then 2008 hit. I lost a quarter of a million dollars, put my family at risk. I was such in a negative, depressed state. I'm like, I'm supposed to be a provider and a protector. And I just effed everything up. And I was, you know, what, you know, should I... <laughs> Should I divorce my wife? Should I just get out of this life? What do I want to do? You know, because I just, am, I'm not doing my job. My family would be better off without me or so I thought. Well, at that point, my wife was like, no, we'll get through it. And, but I think the bigger thing was my dad, he came and he was like talking me through it, helping me go through this experience. And I look back on that and go, I'm really glad it happened because it made me go, debt sucks. <laughs> I'm getting out of debt. I want to take more risks. But at the time it was so emotionally draining. And financially, I didn't even really need help. We were able to dig ourselves out of it, but it was the emotional weight of my identity being pushed and my failure 
being challenged that that was the most difficult. And I think if I hadn't had my my dad and my mom was there as well and my wife, I don't know that I would have made it through. And so I think those that's a lot of times when we don't if we don't invest in our social connections with other men are super important and with our families, then when those things hit, we're going to have big mental problems and we may just check out, which is what I think a lot of guys are doing. Yeah, I agree. Um, Martin, you got anything else? We're, we're hit, we hit an hour five, so. No, it's, uh, yeah, it's awesome. Thanks for all the uh, insight, Aaron. And, you know, I was in a conundrum this past week, um, with being more present with my son or being offered this, uh, another position that it's a considerable amount of money. And, uh, I think, I think I know where I'm going and where I'm leaning now. So. Except the money. It hard. is. That's what... <laughs> hard to pass on. Well, yeah. And that's where, that's what I like to do. Like I've seen people when they move, like I'm going to move for a better job. And you're like, well, what is that doing for my social connections? I had this whole social network support and maybe they were negative people that are around you, but if they're positive, I'm going to rip apart all my social connections and I'm going to go somewhere else and start pretty much from zero. Right. And then you look at that going, is that, how much is that worth? It's hard to know. It's like a brand of a company, right? How much is the is Nike worth? Eh, we throw it on the balance sheet as billions of dollars, but no one actually has a number for what it's worth. It's the same way with our social connections in our groups, in our society. We don't know how much they're worth. And if we don't, but if we don't think about them as something valuable, then we'll often ne- ne- neglect them and it can compromise our kids. It can compromise you know, our kids may have to get new friends. It can compromise them there. It can compromise our relationships with our spouse. It can compromise a whole bunch of things. So I think it's so important to look at that. And, and to your point with the, the uh, young kids, when you have small kids and you're like, I, you're making a trade-off with your relationship, <laughs> right? Or your, yeah. or money. And it's like, if you start to look at it in that way, is how much would I pay to have a better relationship with my kid? Well, if it's great, okay, I'm good. But if you're like, hmm, it's going to cost me. And I, and he may go off the rails. It's not worth it to me. So I, I think it's this, that's why I like this holistic look. It allows you to weigh everything because there are no, there's nothing free. It's always trade-offs. And I'll tell you in yeah. the, in, in Bronnie Ware's book, the top five regrets of the dying in all the people that she, that she talked to in, in her care of, of people that were, that were passing away. Not one single person ever said, I wish I would have made more money. So, yeah. Um, why don't you give everybody your contacts, Aaron, your website, your socials, however you want them to get a hold of you? Yeah. So, I have the website, thefamilyflywheel.com. You can go there. You can contact me. My email is Aaron at thefamilyflywheel.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn and Facebook, Aaron K. Shelley. I'm there. Love to hear from you. I mean, I'm, I'm in a position where I'm trying to help people <laughs> with their families. My kids are now kind of, I'm, I'm going to be an empty nester in the next couple of years. So I'm like in this next phase of life. So if there's anything I can do to help people, that's what I'm after. So any questions or anything, please let me know. Any new books on the horizon? <sighs> I don't, I'm a tech guy. I actually want to build an app that's more in the, how do I, how do I build out, you know, some of the meeting structures and what have other people done Cause that's a big thing that I I'm trying to do is like in the business world, you know, we'll come up with sales V1, V2, V3, and the new guy we hire in gets sales V3. But it seems like what's happening in our society is when I got married, I was like, I don't know. And I was like, I kind of feel like I had to reinvent everything. So I want to, how do we have our, 
our parenting methods being updated and how can we get the most updated or the most successful ones in that, or even dealing with the spouse, it's very challenging. What type of meetings, what type of discussions, how can I filter for a spouse better? All those things are what I, I want to, I have a goal. And I, and I think the apps, books are interesting because people have to read them, but an app is more like a day in, day out. How could I help you? So that's where I think my focus is going to happen. Yeah. We've talked about doing a squared away app that just kind of it helps you set goals, but then it also holds you accountable for your goals, right? Like simple notifications that are like, Hey, what'd you eat today? Right. Like it doesn't know, but it's just, it's, it's making you think about like, Oh shit. Yeah, you're right. Right. And then it's another reminder the next day, like, Hey, it's, it's nine o'clock. Are you in bed yet? You know, shit like that. So, um, all right. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Thank you. It's been fun. You guys are awesome. Love what you're doing. 